Hey there, everybody, and welcome to today's episode of The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner, and I'm going to say this slowly this time, of English Championship side, Peterborough United. <laughs> we got a lot of good reaction from the show last week with Adrian. You know, the comments that we got and the feedback that we got, and it was just a really good episode. That was fabulous and uh, really appreciative of Aid to do that because I know he doesn't do it. You know, I, I hate asking people for anything. Do you know what I mean? And, and you know, reaching out to him, I almost felt guilty doing it because you don't want to put people in an uncomfortable position. I'm one of those, I, I get people hit me five times a week to do college dissertations. You, you see the requests that come in. Yeah. And, you know, at one point I do them all. I, I can't. You know, I haven't got the energy just saps from me. You know what I mean? And particularly now, I haven't got the energy to do even our podcast. I'm, I'm in hell at the moment. Do you know what I mean? So I'm just like, just fried. But uh, yeah, no, very, very, you know, it was really, really classy of him to do that last week. And, um, you know, he's, uh, he's one of the best in his profession. So again, appreciative for his time. It was brilliant from obviously Evans, Steve Evans the week before. And they were two of our most popular episodes in the last four months. So, you know, we have to try and do the guest spin because obviously our, our voices aren't enough, Philip, to, to, to get the new viewers. So what we need to do, we definitely need to keep evolving and, uh, you know, more people on the better. So that's for me to work on. It's just uh, so much else on my plate. But uh, yeah, um, we shall get at it. So let's talk about the weekend. So um, a 3-0 defeat at West Brom, one that... Um, you know, it was kind of a last 10 minute capitulation by the looks of it from a scores perspective, but the stats didn't look great. Yeah. I mean, if, if you, if you showed our players a table, if it was a 75 minute game season, we'd probably be like 12th or something, do you know what I mean? In the tables. So we have a real, uh, some would say it's conditioning. Some would say it's mental, it's concentration. I, I, you know, at this fucking stage, I don't know. Um, you, you know, I don't think it's a conditioning thing. But you look at statistics and go, well, you're one of the worst in the country for goals after the 75th minute. Look, here's how Saturday was a free hit. And I knew the game plan going in. And we knew, you know, they're the best pressing team in the league. Um, we're playing at their place. And it was a case of dig in for 75 minutes and then bring pace on and hit them. And, you know, they weren't hurting us. Ronnie Edwards was exceptional in the first half. And then he, he got battered with concussion. And went off and um it was never going to be an offensive game from us it was never going to be and i hate saying that but when you have a game plan like that i mean the gaffer speaking on saturday night when you have a game plan like that you have to get to zero zero because if you lose like we lost it you know it, it, it it's just horrible it's horrible and then it's like well the statistics the possession the this the that whatever well up to 75 minutes the you know they hadn't laid a glove on us really you know, the new goalie really didn't have to make any saves. And, you know, Ronnie's gone off. Jono, obviously, people have had a dig at him over the weekend, but he was our best defender on set pieces and corners. He must have cleared three corners and he comes off because, you know, he can't do a 90 or whatever changes were made. We've gone with Mario, we've gone with a bit of pace to maybe try and now nick the game. And we can see it from corner. And it's just a kick of bollocks. Yeah. And, and again, then you fear for the fragility yeah, and I got to be careful what I say here because, again, like Adrian said last week, my players probably listen, and I don't want any of them having temper tantrums over me, you know, being a little bit critical, you know, or whatever else. Um, it, it, it was, yeah, it was two 0 one 0 two 0 and yeah, I, I left it two 0 because I'm flying. I hate feeling like that where you feel you, you know, you're not coming back. So, look, we're at the stage now; it's now or never. There's no more of that on Saturday. What you saw, it's 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 gung ho. Um, I, you know. Yeah, I'd rather I'd rather die trying, 
and so are the manager. And I know that's how he feels. And it's not a good place at the moment, you know. I, I was saying to you before, you know, you just get battered all weekend and, you know, people digging out Johnson Clark Harris and it's just out of order, you know, like regards to that poor boy because he fought like fuck on Saturday. Mm-hmm. Not much he can do. He's a target man. There's no crosses coming into him. You look isolated when, you know, you're not getting the support, don't you? And it's yeah. easy to point fingers at your, your target man. He's feeding on fresh air. He's, so his job is basically make the defenders uncomfortable as much as he can. He's up against two of them or three of them. And then second to that, do your defensive work for us. And he did He did all of that. And then people to, you know, dig him out or talk about him being fat. He's in good condition. It's nonsense now, you know. We've moved past that, you know. He's fit. And he'll be big for us in this final run and if we get our act together. Um, so I didn't like that. So I dug out a fan who was, like, coming at him because it's just like, no, you, you're not doing that. You're not doing that at all. You're not picking a little a clip that someone picked of him not winning a ball in the air against the defenders and saying he was quitting or... He wasn't conditioned. You, you're not doing that to my lads. You know what I mean? No. Enough already. We're, we're hurting. I get it. We're hurting. And we had a thousand fans there. They were brilliant. And they're hurting. We're all hurting. But it goes toxic. And I don't need people telling me what to do. You know, if I see another message from someone saying, you need to do this now. You need to fire the manager. You need to do that. I don't need to do fuck. I don't work for anyone. Okay? That's the beauty of when you're successful. I haven't worked for anyone since I was 19. So I don't take fucking orders from people, all right? Simple as. Um, so enough of the, you need to do whatever. Because I've had enough of that crap and the toxicity and, and it just becomes, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you, just the last like 36 hours, just like, what the fuck? And I get it, you know? Losing games brings out the crazies. It brings out um, nastiness. It brings out disappointment. It brings out everyone saying, I told you so. It brings out the experts. I've always said, you know, listen, fine. Look, if I'm not doing it like you want me to do, buy the club. Buy your own football club. Show me how you can do it better. By all means, that's not me being arrogant. It's not me being flippant. You know, if you feel you can do a better job, step up. You know, I stepped up. I made it happen. I bought a football club. I'm a normal guy. Why can't you do the same? It's, you know, I, I wouldn't spend my 20s and 30s on social media or writing letters to people telling them how to do their jobs. You know, I spent 20s and 30s making loads of money so I could buy a football club. So, you know, I think people's time needs to be spent better. I got my usual fans, the the hardcore lot, that message on Facebook and whatever else. And I feel for them more than anything else because they're checking in on me. They're making sure I'm okay. That's not their job to check in on me. You you know, and I I, I want to give them something to smile about because they're dying inside as much as I am. You know, and, 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 and it's quite a few of them. And I see them before the game. I saw a few of them outside West Brom as I was having a smoke before I went in. You know, and they've travelled up and, you know, they're having a, a day out. And they're they're just brilliant fans like that, you know. And, and there wasn't the ones that came up when I spoke after before the game, not one criticism, not one, you should do this, you should do that, blah, 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 blah. Just like, my God almighty. I get it. I get it. We're not good. We're losing games. Yeah, you're not blind to the fact of, of what's I, happening. I feel it more than anyone else, trust me. I feel I, I want to be at home with my family. I want to be at home with my kids. You know, my daughter's having a, a, a first school dance. I'm missing a few days. I don't need this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I I get it. I'm sat on my own in a house in the UK after we lose like that. I'm, I feel it. Trust me. If people want to punish me or want me to feel like shit, I feel like shit. That's how I feel at the moment. Trust me. More than anyone knows. So I don't need people telling me I should do this and I should do that. I know already. I know I'm failing. I know there's a shortcomings at the club. I know all these facts. 
But don't think I'm not trying to do my better work and my ass off. I am. I spent every day last week in Peterborough. You know what I mean? I, I, I am trying. And then trying to do deals in this window, you've no idea. Someone says, go get, was it forced from Brentford? Did it, did it, did it. Yeah, no problem. You know, 17 grand a week and a million pounds if we stay up or a million pounds or whatever. By the way, promotion teams have been told are probably going to take him on that and he'll want to go there and it'll be a million pounds if those clubs go up and they'll do it. Great, wonderful. No problem. What can I do? You know, we, we I was chasing a boy at a Premier League club for like two and a half months, three months, um, in case Dembele left. And the manager said, look, he's not going out on loan, not going out on loan. Then they signed a, a big, big player from, from Europe on loan. And my manager contacted their manager and said, look, you know, and he's like, no, we're not letting him out on loan. I wake up today and he's on loan at another championship club. And just... It's not about money. You know, the boy was, wasn't on that much money. He's like an under-21, a very, very talented player. But it's like, fuck, you know, I said the past, you know, today I was speaking, you know, Jesus, like trying to do deals with some of these clubs and it's it's like pulling teeth. It's really, really difficult. But look, no one does you favours in this industry unless you're really good pals or whatever else, but rarely do you get any favours. It's frustrating, you know, and... And it's like you're inquiring for players and you don't even get a call back. They just go and do deals elsewhere. And that's really bizarre. So, yeah, I'm not going to lie to you. It's, it's tough. It's tough going, um, you know, to try and do deals, to try and find the right players, club's expectations. Yeah, really, really, really difficult. Monday being today, fucking really difficult day. And that's exasperated then by your, your team, you know, getting beaten heavily. So that doesn't help either. So, but look, no, nobody died. I'm not asking for violins. And I'm not asking for people to feel sorry for me. I'm just, as usual, explaining the circumstances. The realities behind yeah, the scenes. The realities, the circumstances. Oh, and, and it's like, <laughs> you know, we had another player who was desperate to come to us. And now three weeks later, it's like, nah, I'm, I'm going to wait till the summer. Because they don't want to be in a fight. They don't want to be in a battle. You know, they don't want. It. So, okay, I don't want them. I'd rather play 17-year-olds. You know, from our YouTube, because they put up more of a fight than some of these fucking cowards who are just, you know, I'm not talking about current players, players who are looking at bringing in maybe, you know, they're fucking cowards because they're thinking, oh, you know, they're down already as a relegation. Don't struggle on my CV. Yeah, I'm not putting that in my CV, but we'll fuck off, coward. That's fine. You know, but I haven't got cowards at my club. People like Clark Harris, I mean, you know, uh, if you trust him to get you promoted in the 96th minute with a final kick, you know, trust him to work his nuts off to try and keep us in the league. Don't don't turn on him. It's all right. You can criticize players. You can be angry. You can be disappointed. But, you know, don't don't turn on them in that way. Because that's just like, that's not right. Um, and I said, like, you turn on me, fine. But, like, leave leave some of those lads alone. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's not on. So how, how do you approach, you know, you get these knockbacks in the transfer market. And you're working 24-7 right now to try and bring in, you know, where you've identified some gaps. Try to strengthen the team. You get these knockbacks. You know, how do you keep on, like, where do you go? Where's the well of, okay, these are kind of the players, and if nothing happens there, we're going to go there? Or kind of what does that talent identification look like, if you will, to keep going back and finding, like, okay, we, we got bad news here, we're going to go there? It's a lot of hard work, Phil. It's based on months and months of scouting, of analysis, of meetings, and, and you have your list, and you're going, you know, option A, B, C, or option one, two, three, four. And we're now down to three and four and we're getting shirked off by them. So then you've got fucking, you know, plan B, complete plan B, which is basically not sure in this league for that player, but do you take a chance? Do you not take a chance? 
Um, you, you, you know, so you're at that point. So, or you get to the point where you go, no, we have to go at what we've got, you know, and and and, and it's difficult because it's getting to that point. Um, so it's like, okay, I'm gonna have to trust who we have. They put us in the situation. They're either gonna dig us out of it or they won't. So you you know, it's, it's you know, people are just like sign him, sign him. Oh, there's a player. There's yeah, did it, did it, this time. No, it doesn't work like that. This isn't fantasy. This isn't fantasy land. This isn't you know. That's not how it works, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, it's the difficult, you know. And and but I'll keep fighting. We have got seven days left. You know, I'm staying here on purpose to try and maybe get one or two more in. Um, but if we don't, we don't. There's you know, it's not true lack of trying and um, you know working really hard on it. So anyway, enough about Peterborough. You know, we're at the stage now. Where we have a big game tomorrow night, and. You know, I'm not saying it's do or die, but it's do or die. <laughs> well, when you look at that fixture list for February, your your next three games are what Birmingham, Sheffield United, and then you got the cup against QPR. Yeah. February are those, you know, the six pointers, and they're they're coming thick and fast at you. We've exhausted people's patience with what happened on Saturday, so we can't do that anymore. Um, you know, so we have to. It, it's all or nothing now. Okay, it's all or nothing. So be it. So we're, we're at the poker table now and it's like, you know, trying to chip away, but now it's all in, you know, everything's got to go on the table. So, you know, um, and we've got to play our best hand. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm helpless <laughs> on the sideline. There's nothing I can do, you know. <laughs> Which is a horrible place to be, to yes. feel like, you yes. know, there's only so much you can do and influence. You're watching just like everybody else. I am. And, and firing my manager is not going to happen, people. For the ones who are asking for it, and look, it's not the majority, it's the usual after you lose a bad game, or oh, you do the right thing, it's time. But I'm not firing the manager. You know, I've said that. If the manager goes, I go. Yeah. You know, I, I, I'm standing by that. And, um, you know, and that's not me being naive. Um, I just, yeah, you bring in, okay, you bring in tomorrow, you bring in Neil Warnock in tomorrow, you might win two games. And then it's, you know... Is that, you know, an academy-based club, a youth-based club? Is that, with all due respect, legend of a manager, if you could afford it? Is that, is that solving the problem? It's like, no, no. You know what I mean? We have a system. We have a formula. We have a philosophy. You know, and we're having a really, really bad patch. Um, you know, after a really good couple of years, testing years, but good years. So, no, I, you know, and, and Jason and Randy, my partners, feel the same. Um, you know, so stop people asking me to do that. That's not going to happen. Um, so enough about posh. Let's talk football in general. Yeah, because we're going to have Ryan on the show a little bit later. We're going to talk um, Bradford later in the show. Um, I wanted, before we go into any results or anything, you know, troubling times over the last week at Derby. Oof. And all the backwards and forwards and the um, you know, administrator saying one thing and the EFL saying another thing. And you have Middlesbrough involved saying things and Wickham involved saying things. You know, we've got a lot of questions that have come into the pod from concerned Derby fans about that. And I just wondered, kind of as a as an outsider, but obviously knowing uh, how the wheels turn inside the industry, what's your what's your making of what's going on there at the moment? Is it charades or is it, have they got something more to worry about? I've had a lot of Derby fans that you need to like comment on all these lawsuits. And look, I, I'm not, I've had so much of my plate. I haven't studied it myself. I haven't read it. You know, I, I, you know the Middlesbrough thing, I'm, I'm, I'm not, yeah, um, they missed out on the playoffs because of Derby getting in from overspending. So they feel there's a compensation thing there. Wickham obviously last year felt Derby cheated the rules that cost Wickham their spot in the championship. You know, I, I, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know all the legalities, but, but both of those clubs must have had sound legal advice 
that they've got cases to win if they are pursuing legal action. Because that's, you know, I'd have spent money on lawyers going, look, have we got a case or, you know, whatever. Do you blame them for trying? No, I don't think you do because that's just the world we live in. Everyone, you know, I've met anyone who doesn't like, you know, has been sued or doesn't like to sue somebody. Um, what I'd say is, and I know the Derby fans are upset because they feel, well, Middlesbrough and Wickham are going to put us into liquidation. And I pray that doesn't happen. And I don't think it will happen. My question would be, if they can't, if Derby can't sell it because of these pending possible lawsuits or whatever else in these two clubs, why hasn't the administrator sat with either of those clubs and tried to do a deal? Right. And try and said, look, here's the deal we're going to do. Um, and it only kicks in when we find a new owner. So I don't know. I don't know what, what, what Wickham's claim is. I don't know the finances involved. Is it six million? Is, is, is Middlesbrough asking for 50 million? That's pie in the sky because Middlesbrough, you take a lot to convince a judge, uh, uh, I don't know if it was a jury involved or whatever, that they would get into the playoffs, then win the playoffs. Do you know what I mean? So I'm not sure the, the that would have merit to stand up. And, and I'm not trying to piss Middlesbrough fans off, but I just don't think that has merit. So um, it, it's uncharted territory. But what you would do if you were the administrator, you would sit with both clubs and go, look, guys, until we bring someone in, you know, all of this is like pie in the sky. But listen, what can we do? What, what are you thinking? Now, Wickham turn around and say, well, we want two million quid. Okay, fine. We'll give you a million and a half, but it's payable over three years. It doesn't start. We get a new owner. Middlesbrough say we want ten million. You try and do deals. If that's your roadblock to stopping you getting in somebody wealthy that can keep the club going and, and get back on its feet, because if you're a prospective buyer of Derby, you want to know warts and all. What are you walking into? Mm -hmm. And if they say, "Well, there's fifty million to the tax man, there's fifty million out to the previous owner, there's this, that, whatever else," but we've done deals where we wiped it down to forty million, wipes all of that out. Bang. However, there are these two lawsuits pending that we, we haven't got agreements on. We don't know if it's going to be 10 million or 50 on top. Well, no one's going to buy the club under that circumstance. So the other thing I'd do is if I was a potential buyer, put the administrator to the side, maybe I'd go and approach those clubs and say, hey, guys, can we can we do a deal? You know what I mean? Or whatever else. So I don't know. I mean, it's a terrific football club. Whoever gets it is getting a deal. Um, and, and, a, and a proper, I would imagine if it goes to the ninth, the twelfth hour, Mike Ashley ropes in because Ashley is notorious for doing deals like that, and he's got the money. Um, and what a club that would be for him! Um, it's a really, really puzzling situation when you look at everything. And I've heard, I think I saw something written today on Twitter that there could be some positive signs. So you know, the liquidation talk has abated, which is great news because you you don't want to see a club like Derby get liquidated. But the other problem you've got as a new owner is. The previous guy still owns the fucking stadium and he's taken that out of the mix. And I don't know about the training ground. So, you know, you really, I, I guess the people bidding know everything. I guess, you know, the figures are transparent in a data room uh, once you show proof of funds. But the thing that's not transparent is, is what are you going to owe the two clubs who are potentially suing you? Um, so, and it's easy. Look, I know everyone wants to pile on Middlesbrough and pile on Wickham and then da 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 da. Um, they feel their cases have merit for whatever reason. But again, I'm pretty sure those owners would do a deal with a new owner and maybe even do the deal with the administrator. You know, they feel a sense of injustice. Okay, I felt like that two years ago. Um, I had really good sound legal advice from somebody who's now in the FA. You know, my lawyer who's represented me for years, who said we had a serious legal case to get an injunction against the vote, you know, and, and whatever else. And we could have done a class action with all the other clubs. And I didn't do it in the end. And it wasn't about the legal fees. It was just like I was exhausted by it. And I thought, no, I'm not going to be the guy who holds up 
the playoffs holds up football, you know, trying to go to the high court during COVID. I'm like, no, you know, at the end of the day, it's an injustice. We'll fight this next year on the pitch, which we did. Um, and I, I moved on, but I did. I had sound legal advice. I've still got it in my Dropbox that we had a cast iron case to stop all of that palaver. I think for me, that's where the bad taste comes is that, you know, whether you have a legal case or not, whether Middlesbrough or Wickham feel that they have a, mid- a legal case or not, it almost feels like it's the unwritten rules of I mean, football is you, you kind of let that play out on the pitch or with the EFL or with the FA, even if you don't necessarily like the decisions, because couldn't everybody have a case against any team that's ever gone into administration? Because, you know, by default, they've gone into administration because they spent more money than they had. And so, you know, in Steve Gibson's language, in his statement, they cheated. So anytime anyone goes into admin, everyone else has got a case that they were, um, they didn't get something that perhaps they feel like they deserved. Yeah, a hundred percent. You know, I, I agree with what you're saying. The whole thing's a shit show and it doesn't reflect well on us and are the EFL. And, and again, it's a case of, you know, we've got to put things in place. This nonsense doesn't happen that you haven't got, these poor fans, I had loads of Derby fans, you know, a few of them have taken it upon themselves to try and contact Gibson at Middlesbrough, the Wickham owner, and, you know, and, and, and you feel from these people don't work for the club. That's the club they support. Yeah. You know, and, 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 you know, win, lose, or draw, they just want the club in existence, and they are terrified it's going to go into a liquidation. That is not fair to a fan base of, what, 30, 40,000 that go to games, how many other thousands of people that live around the area. Uh, it's just a complete shit show. And for it to happen, for it to allow it to be happened, it doesn't look bad. It doesn't look good on us. It doesn't look good on the EFL. And we have to stop this now. This has to be the flag in the sand. You've seen what happened with Barry. You've seen what happened with other clubs. Wigan, God love them. They're flying high now in League One. Bolton are on their way back. But, you know, these are iconic big clubs. And, and Derby's, if not the biggest out of all of them. So if we don't learn a lesson from this, we've learned nothing. And it'll just be continuous shit shows down the line. Yeah, so I want to ask a little bit. Of, I saw some news just before we jumped on the pod around um, COVID postponements and the Premier League now is starting to think about putting some more stringent rules in place. Hey! Yeah, a little bit too late, you know, one could argue, but I guess baby steps. You know, shouldn't we be doing this from the start? Last year when we had it, I said it before, there were no vaccines, so I couldn't, you know, they were just being rolled out, so I understood why you panicked if there was a breakout and you didn't want like older relatives infected during Christmas. But the piss taking that's gone on this year is just a fucking liberty, taking the fucking piss. And we allowed that because coming out and saying, well, as long as you have X amount of, it suddenly became not about COVID. It was about, well, actually loads of our players are injured. So we can't forget COVID, take COVID out of it. If PB United tomorrow night had 18 injuries and whatever else, we would be expected to feel a youth team. Right. We'd be expected to field you know, a bunch of 11 and 12 year olds just to get the game on. There was no way the game would be allowed off. And if we did take it off, it'd be forfeited. It'd be a three nil win. Do you know what I mean? So uh, I'm glad they're saying now, I think it's four positive tests. Otherwise you're not calling the game off, but it's a little late now. Omicron has missed the UK. Um, We've all fucking had it. I think we're at herd immunity now. I think the infections amongst footballers are dropping right off. We've got to stop testing now. We're testing every fucking day still, which is ridiculous. Um, So... It's move on time, you know, and obviously England's back to normal tomorrow without any restrictions. Plan A, you know, COVID's a thing of the past in regards to restrictions and, and, and life and sports. So, yeah, just a little bit too late. Is that is that daily testing still um, regu- driven by the regulatory bodies, whether it's EFL, whether it's the government then? Yeah, yeah EFL. 
The only day we don't have to test is on match days. So we still have to test every other day, which is just fucking nonsense. Okay. Um, yeah, total nonsense. And, and you're still paying for that as a club? Uh, fuck me. I, 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 believe, I don't know, actually. It's a good question. I fucking hope not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's another big line item. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let me make a note here. <laughs> it's, just, it's like, yeah, Christ almighty. Oh, dearie, mate. Well, I know that we're going to jump soon into the, the conversation with Ryan. So we've got, because we haven't had the chance to ask a few questions the last few weeks, I just thought I'd pick out um, one or two here. We got a question from Zach on email. Zach asked, uh, I wanted to get Dara's opinion on parent clubs that recall loan players and then loan them straight back out to other clubs. How does it work and why does it happen? So it's the system. The way it's meant to work is, if I have a young player and I want him to go out and play 20 games in the conference, um, I would do that in August. Mm-hmm. And I'd put in there that we have the chance to recall him in January. With the idea that if he does really well in the conference, I'd want him in League 2 from January. So what I wouldn't want to do and I wouldn't do to another club is take him from the conference and put him in another club in the conference. That's wrong for me. But if he's going up a level, loans are usually about player development. Mm-hmm. if it's an under 25 other loans can be about you want to sell the player so you want them to go do well and then you ping them back because you can sell them you know we had that with Ryan Broom you know we can recall him if we get an offer they can match the offer now for a younger player from the Premier League to come to us and then say he's yanked back in Jan and sent to a bigger club in the same league I think that's wrong you know at the end of the day he's playing in the same league so his development's still the same how much do you watch players that are out on loan yeah, I've got, we've got people at the club, you know, particularly under 23s, 18s, who go and watch our loan players, um, you know, when the, when the chance arises. We always go watch them. So it's important to see that your players are developing. We also get reports from the clubs we loan them to. So we've got a couple of youngsters in the 23s that we love to get out to the second half of the season. You know, go get 20 games because we need to ask the question, if the worst case happens and we're back, you know, where, can they still play in that league next year? Yeah. You know what I mean? So so it's important now to see some progress because we feel they're really good young players, but you never really know until they go out and play actual men's football. You know, 23 games are great. Cup games are great. But to actually go and be involved in a promotion campaign or a relegation campaign and in the, in the heart of the battle, that's key. And uh, how often would you... Or do you even contemplate recalling a player because it's not progressed the way that you wanted? Maybe because the club's not playing him. It's just not worked for him. Oh. You know, we, we had a player, and it was at Wrexham a couple of years ago, Kyle Barker. And Keats, he was our ex-player, and we thought he'd play, and he hardly ever fucking played, so we recalled him. So it's no good for an 18- or 19-year-old of ours to sit in a bench four leagues below us. Right. You, you know, he needs to play. So we'd often say to the clubs, we're not really interested in his wages being paid. He needs to play. So that's where a lot of the time you hear these deals where they have to pay full wages or more than the wages if he doesn't play. So it's like in, there's disincentive for him not to play. Correct. You know, the whole idea is development. Go play. Um, and then we have another one that uh, we got a few weeks ago that I just wanted to ask, and it's from Harvey. Um, Harvey said, I'm uh, contacting you about wondering if Dara had any advice for getting involved in becoming like a player liaison officer within a football club, kind of that kind of role. And just wondered how do those kind of, how do folks find themselves in those roles? I think when you look to, to do a role at the club, do you know anyone around the club? Do you know friends of people around the club? It's a lot of who you know. You know, you'll advertise for jobs. Our academy went up to CAT 2. We had to get a lot of new employees on board. So there's a lot of, like, posts put out about jobs. It's like everything else, tell Harvey. You know, it's you got to get your CV together. you got to put in the CV. And, you know, hopefully someone reads it, likes it, and gets you in for an interview. You know, there's no 
magic answer to this. You know, it is what it is. All right. Well, uh, let's leave our conversation there. We'll be back in part two with Ryan Sparks, CEO of Breath of City. So hi there, everybody. Welcome back to part two of this week's um, Hard Truth podcast. We're joined by Ryan Sparks, CEO of Bradford City. Welcome back to the pod, Ryan. No, thanks for having me, guys. I think it was the beginning of the season we last chatted. Maybe it was the end of last on the podcast. How are you, would you evaluate the season so far at Bradford? Yeah, I mean, we've, we haven't amassed the amount of points that we'd, 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 if you like, planned or targeted to take at this point. Um, We've made a pretty good start to 2022. We know what we need to bag in terms of points going into the, shall we say, latter stages. We know that we're going to need good form to carry us where we'd like to get to. Um, if we continue in the, in the vein that we're in, points taken from the games we've had, we will probably get there. That's that's a tall order. We've got to make sure we do it. Um, and you know, but you know, the Derek and the players know exactly what they want to achieve. So it hasn't been uh, how, how I would have hoped. If you like, I knew, you know, we had internal targets of where we wanted to be in the league at a certain point. We weren't far from that, actually. Um, but we, we, we've, we've still got to close five or six points to make the playoffs as things stand just now. And uh, this is a division, however, of, of opportunity. And I do feel that if we can maintain the PPG that we've got in 2022, although albeit on four matches, uh, there's no reason we can't do what we want to do. How far are you from automatic, right? Uh, I think it's 10 points, something like that. That's nothing, is it, with 20-odd games left? I mean, now, now's the time for the afterburners to go on, isn't it? Yeah, and, 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 and you know, look, we've got, there's a, quite a few clubs, us included, they've got game in hands on other clubs, and it needs to just settle out so we can see. I think once we get this this week and next couple out of the way, then everybody sort of catches up on their, for want of a better phrase, COVID games um, that got that got parked up. And, and, and after that, it will be very much a shootout, and we need to make sure we're in that mixer. We're not far off it in, in, in some terms. You know, we just, there's an inconsistency about the way we're performing on the field at the moment, which which leads to a bit of frustration. But um, I'd, I'd much rather be frustrated at this end of the table than the other end. And um, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty confident that with the, you know, the change we make in this window, when them guys start to gel, I'm actually quite excited about where we can get to. And we've got, we're a positive organisation. We're not going to sit there and, uh, you can't change what's gone. You know, ultimately, we've actually only lost six games this season. We've only won seven. That's the problem. We've drawn 12. Um, it is a case of flicking a handful of them draws the other way, and it's a completely different outlook, I guess, from a supporter's perspective. Uh, but internally, when you're talking about your performance, you know how close you are on that in that regard. If you're miles away, it's very different. Yeah, How's the general feeling around the club at the moment? Like, you mentioned that you... You try to keep the positivity. You know, is the confidence going into the back half of the season that you you pretty much have what you need, um, and that you know there's that, that everyone's looking forward. Oh, 100 percent. You know, I mean, it's, we've we've tried to make huge steps on and off the field in the last sort of 15 months since I took over. You know, I, I made it pretty clear from the start where I think we needed to get to as an organisation. We're not there yet, um, but the, the position of the business is is much different to the one. Uh, back in November 2020. In terms of where we think we are inside the club, we're probably all quite frustrated as well because we want to kick on. But so do the players and so do the manager. It's not different. Every club's the same. You don't go in there anytime uh, looking to lose games. You know what I mean? And 
And I think the story of our 2022 so far, just this side of the new year, is we seem to be taking one ginormous leap forward and then just stuttering backwards half a step. Um, I don't think it's a case of one forward, two back. It's just it might be one for one. Um, but, you know, like I say, there's a lot of games that come thick and fast. If we can get to Walsall and get a result, it, we, we've closed the gap. You know what I mean? And, we, and we're level then with the other game, teams around us in terms of matches played. And we're going into a, a big home game against Crawley where anything could happen. How did you, you know, we're not going to get into all the stuff that happened with a cryptocurrency firm and all that stuff. But how, how did you as a CEO, you know, and the manager handle all of that while I was blown up for like a couple of weeks? Well, I mean, I mean, the honest, the honest truth is, it's difficult. Um, you know, I were a CEO by twenty nine and a nearly an NFT by thirty. Hey, thank fuck they didn't pay an actual cryptocurrency. Have you seen the value of that fucker at the moment? <laughs> well, I, I think it's difficult. You know, I mean, these are sides of the of the fence that people don't always see. You know, I, I, when I was aware of things, I was honest with the manager very quickly because. Derek's someone I brought to Bradford and we've, we've got a real bond of trust there. And if, I, you know, I, I stick with the manager and the players through thick and thin. I think you have to. And um, I made everybody aware at the club who who, who needed to know, quite honestly, um, that this could happen. And and Derek as well. And, and, and both myself and Derek in, in other lives have been involved in takeovers and potential takeovers and things that nearly did and nearly didn't. So it's not new to me. Um, it was distracting, I can't lie to you, because at the end of the day, I've got a, f- a focus on a, on a plan and a vision that, that's on the table. And, and, and I can assure you one thing I would say is that I believe that vision would have been slightly different. Um, whether or not I would have still been a part of that vision would have, well, that's a st- that's maybe an answer I'll never know. But, um, you know, it's, it's one of them where you, you've got to crack on. You know, it's, I've got to be professional. I get paid to be to run this football club. And until I'm told otherwise... I would continue to do it, but you know what happened happened or didn't, if you like, and and and, and as I, it was very important that I did take that approach because when things didn't transpire, it wasn't a change of direction; it was simply just continue on the path that we set, you know. But it's not easy. I won't lie to you. You know, on a, on a personal level, uh, away from all this, you know, you're looking at your own career and things like that, and what might happen, and you're asking yourself questions, and you know, I've had opportunities. Um, to look at other options myself in the last 12 months from a work point of view. And I, I, I stuck with this football club because I believe in it and I want to win at this football club. It's my hometown club. And there were moments where I had to ask myself questions, you know, what what happens if I have a job? And, and I have to prepare for myself for that. There are things out completely outside of the business. It's just on a personal level. But that that's just one of the, I suppose, one of the aspects of what happens. You don't know what's going to happen. Football's so strange. Grant McCann's just beaten two of the top teams in the championship, and I believe rumours out there that he's left Hull. What? Uh, yeah, that's the rumour. I don't think anything's confirmed yet, but we've definitely seen that um, today. They're bringing in Shota Avaradzi or something is the rumour to uh, replace him. Fair play to, fair play to Grant, my word. Yeah. That's the second shotgun firing for Grant with new owners because my partners came in and we let Grant go, you know, did, I think it was the day before they were announced. So he's had that happen to him twice. This is the game you're in. This is the industry. You know what you got to do, Ryan? you got to get yourself a new contract. You're the CEO and you got to put in there a big, big payoff in case it happens. <laughs> there you go. Solution. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a couple of uh, couple of Bitcoins there, maybe, if I get... <laughs> yeah, I, I look at... I just... Um... Yeah, it, it, that is the nature of the beast. You know, you're in you're in volatile positions. Uh, you know that when you take the role, and you know that when you take the role on, 
if you want to sit in a different role inside the football club, they're all very important, but some of them you are less, um, shall we say, vulnerable in terms of a long-term future. And if I didn't want to do it, then I didn't have to step into it. So these are all things that I knew when I did it. Um, and so does Derek. You know, when Derek walks into a football club like this, it's an attractive business. We do well financially. We're well run. So you have to anticipate that one day you might have an ownership change or some interest in it being purchased. And that can lead to changes. And that's just natural. There's a week left in this window. January is usually very tough. This is probably the toughest January ever. You know, football's in a recession. Um, you, you know, what are you, what are you looking to do pieces wise last week of the window? Yeah. I mean, look, there's no, there's no hiding the fact that we, we, we've lost the angle there to injury. So we're going to need some support in our front line. Um, we've got three strikers who are fit on the books. We need another one. I think the manager's been, uh, pretty honest and open about that. And then you're just looking at other areas really where potentially you, we may need to strengthen and improve and, of course, prepare for any potential departure and what that might mean. But right now, I don't see many departures on the on the horizon, really. Phil, what does Bradford need? You're a fan. Tell him. Tell the CEO. Who the fuck he should find? What he should do? Like every fucking fan does of football clubs at the moment. Because it's that easy, right? Yeah, correct. Pop on the football manager, buy a couple of strikers and a right back and, you know, jobs are good. And- <laughs> what do they need, Phil? Well, in your opinion? In my opinion, I mean, I think it's fair that we, we need somebody up front, um, you know, with something a little bit different than we, what we've probably already got. We've invested a lot, I think, out wide and in forward players in, in attacking the box. So it's actually going to be interesting to see how that impacts, you know, Jamie Walker, for example, we brought on loan. It's going to be really interesting to see how that impacts us from a, you know, converting those chances. Um you know, probably I was interested to see a goalkeeper coming in today. So we signed Alex Bass, didn't we, from um, from Portsmouth. Like, what's the thinking about having another keeper on the books? That was a deal that was pieced together uh, not today, uh, to say the least, probably last week. Um, we felt it's an area that we needed to strengthen and improve. Um, and Alex is a is ultimately a number one, really, in all but name, uh, Portsmouth, and comes with a great reputation. Um player again that we monitored for some time so to get him we're quite pleased and obviously it is an area that where, where we perhaps have need we need to be better in you know we, we've only really recruited in places where we think we've got um gaps or a lack of depth uh, whether that will result in one of our goalkeepers leaving the football club remains to be seen but um it's not necessarily just a case of adding we're just trying to put the finishing touches to the squad if you like now um that we think can help us on achieve the goals how much of when you look at recruitment in a transfer window like this is geared towards short term? You know, we know what we need because we're making a push for a goal this season. You know, obviously the promotion being that goal this season. And how much is it with a longer term perspective? Well, I, mean, I don't know what Dara's thoughts are. I've always thought, you know, with, with loans, it's a, it's an interesting situation. If you take a player on loan, and, and I've seen many examples of this football club, you take them alone at the start of the season, they tear it up, and then all that actually happens is you recall that player, their value goes up, they put a gun to your head uh, sometimes, and you lose the player. Or, or you end up paying through the nose for the player. That happened here with two or three examples I can think of when we, when we were in other situations. Um, so the loan market was something we left in the summer. I think we've been quite successful in that in the January window. We've been able to pick off players that perhaps wouldn't usually play in League Two to, to be diplomatic and 
Um, Jamie Walker strikes me as one who's come from the SPL. Um, you know, Jamie's a, a, an excellent player and, and someone that wouldn't usually step down to this level, but for a short term would like to. And, and what it also does is, yeah, there is some short term thinking in that you're trying to get to your end goal. Um, and then and then that opens things up. We have got a lot of players off contracts at the end of the season. And there are some of those players that we've loaned that we may potentially look to continue with. Whether they would sign for us in League Two is, is another matter. Um, but, you know, and it's also about players buying into what we're trying to achieve. They're not, we're not just stockpiling players. That, that There's no real holiday for a loan player, is there, in this position because some of those players are out of contract. Um, they've got a point to prove most of the time. And, um, and, and as a club, I think we've got a bit of a point to prove to ourselves. So it kind of fits in. Um, but, you know, it doesn't mean that we won't sign and, you know, we're just going to do this every year. It's just the way this has worked this year. And we've, I think we've made decent use of the loan market and we've, we've got good bang for our buck as a result. Loans can be two things. A couple of years ago, we got Schmodox on loan. You know, we got uh, Reese Brown on loan. We, I think, I forget who else we brought in. Find two or three of them then the following summer. So sometimes it's a good platform. It's like a dating thing. Yeah. You date, see how each other are, see if you fuck really well together, if the chemistry's good, and hey-ho, I'll put a ring on it in the summer. So, you, you know, if all parties can agree. So that, that can be what a loan is like. The other side of it is you think, this is a really good player. You bring them in, and they're a bag of shit for six months, and you think, okay, thank fuck I never signed them and put them on a two- or three-year deal. Yeah. I mean, I, I only ever take a loan deal to, you know, usually the, the final game of the league season anyway some clubs will take loans from you till the end of june which is always great for me and bad for them uh because you sat with the bill and particularly you know again this doesn't apply to this squad but in the past it, it does leave a sour taste when you do that and that player's not performed or it's not worked out or the team's just generally not kicked on and you are left with massive bills that you're paying through gritted teeth 100 percent. being in the championship some of the demands you get you know, A, you've got to pay to the 30th of June. So you're paying wages for seven weeks past the finished playing. Yeah. Secondary, we want 150 grand if you stay up. And we're like, for a full back, what's he going to do? Score 10 goals in 20 games. And you've got to remember, you're accommodating them. There's no other industry in the world where if Ryan wasn't a good enough CEO at Bradford and he had to go and be a CEO in the seventh league and non-league or whatever else, to go and get that job, if he was, you know, out on loan, you'd have to go find his own digs and pay his own way with a salary he earns. Football's the only fucking industry where they get the same salary and now you're paying for them to stay somewhere. Usually a fucking hotel. It's the most bizarre thing. Do you know what I mean? And I've, I've been moaning for years with the EFL about let's get rules in place for these loan situations. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, know, you, you do right by the player. And, you know, we, we always try to make our players feel welcome. But, you know, there are hidden costs as well to loans that, course talking about apartments bills sometimes vehicles not always in our case but it does happen and but you know you got you 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 make sure the player feels welcome it's very important to me that jamie walker feels like this is home um until he until you know whatever happens happens but you know it's we've got claret seats just like hearts so i'm sure he uh (laughs) i think that we've done half of it (laughs) listen i i hear you i mean it's look it's one of them Loans are 50-50 in my opinion. 50-50 it goes well, 50-50 it's a waste of fucking money and a waste of time. You know, and, it, and it's and I hate being in a position where I'm doing loan deals. Absolutely despise it. I do. There's contempt on my face every time I approve a loan transaction. And, and you know, you do. You try and support a player. 
you put them in a hotel, you look after them, you make sure they're, you know, the player welfare, all of that stuff. But a lot of them, these players, they, they'll fuck off 200 miles home on their day off. And then they'll drive back then and, you know, and they're for training. What's the body like? You know, they're going out and playing and they're meant to run 11, 12 clicks in a game. And they're doing all those things in between. It, it, it's there's so much to get frustrated. And that, and, that, and that is, again, you know, I think it's different at other end, different ends of the EFL, to be honest with you on that. I mean, you know, what we've tried to do with the boys that have come in is be real clear and say, we want you to stay here. Uh, we'll we'll do the apartment. We'll get you the, the places you want to live. But you need to, we want you to bed in. And I think, you know, from what I'm, so, you know, sorts of the lads that have come in, Jamie's got his kids coming down and, and things like that when they're not at school. And he's they're, they're very much staying here, which is crucial because... They need to fully immerse themselves in the culture, or it can't. It doesn't always work, you know. If they become homesick or spending too many days back home, it's not really working. No, it's not. And and then you get like sometimes the the, the master clubs, I call them, you know, the Premier League. You know, why isn't he playing? What's going on here? What's going on there? Yeah, yeah. you know, I, I listen. I probably sound really negative today. Only because I'm irritated and fucked off for a few things in that long market. Um, but that's that's where we are, you know, in in football. And, uh, you know, hopefully you'll get, you know, the bits you need, Ryan, by the end of the window. Yes. Uh, uh, you know, go on a, on a super run. Phil, as a fan, you're happy with everything so far, Phil? How was Saturday's game? Um, Saturday, it was another one of those games where you just felt like we had it to win and we just couldn't convert. You know, a really, really strong start. Um, probably didn't follow through on that for the entire game, but it was one of those you walking away thinking you know what, there was three points there for the taking. What I have to say about Saturday, and I know we sound like a broken record, the support is just fantastic. I mean, um, at, we're at Spotland, I think it was a 4,900 crowd, more than half were Bradford fans. Um, and it's just incredible. That's mad. Yeah, and, and, and for, you know, for me, Saturday's the biggest frustration was, you know, I wanted to see the away and go bonkers. You know what I mean? And, and that's what they're the moments you love at the end of the day. And it just didn't, we just couldn't get out of second gear on Saturday for whatever reason. It, like I said to you, top of the top of the chat, you know, it, it felt like half a step back. And uh, we, we let things happen in the game, you know, that, you know, I, I understand because I can see what's trying to be done. Like we lose Elliot Watt 25 minutes in, the whole, our whole shape changes in midfield. The plan goes out the window. When the plan's almost coming back on course, we look good again. Angles through on goal, and the hamstring goes. You know, these these are moments that set you back, and we just didn't deal with that adversity as well as we did, for example, against Salford. Now they went down to ten men, and that in itself brings adversity because you've got the centre half with two teeth missing. He plays on, he wins, he heads gets the winning goal, and we and we managed to go after Salford who put ten men, you know, they put everyone they had behind the ball, and we still won the game. It's just weird how sometimes players react in different ways. Um, but you just felt if we could have got one goal at Rochdale, it would have opened right up and it just didn't. And, and what that does is that puts more pressure then on your next game. Because for me, if we win tomorrow night at Walsall, the, the Rochdale point's a good point. I think Rochdale are far better than 18th, 19th in League Two. They're a, they're a decent side. And, and if, they were, if they'd have been on it in front of goal, they probably would have beaten us. So... Um, we've got to make sure that when we look back, that's a good point and not a, not what you've just said there, which is, well, we've dropped two. We've got to see it the other way. And that, that really is down to the lads, I'm afraid. Let me ask you a serious question. Mike. What's a Forest Green done that Bradford can't? 
I think what I've seen at Forest Green over the years, and you know, I speak to Henry, the chief executive, quite a bit. They've they've gone, they've run one way for a long time, you know, in terms of the football department. Their culture at the club has been a developing culture, I think, for a number of years now. Now they have fallen short several times. You know, they've been in this position before, not quite this high, but they've been in this position before and actually not made the playoffs. That was 1920 season, I believe. They slipped out along with ourselves, and. Um, They've got, they've, you know, last season they lost the playoff semi-final, and I, and I don't know how devastating that was for the guys down there. But they, they, what they've done then is they've put a manager in that they believe can adapt to that culture and I think continue with their method. They've also kept the core of a very, very good League Two squad together. The likes of Jamil Matt, they've developed it from there. They've not had mass turnover of players. They've not hit the manager reset button. They've hit it once in five years. And then they've put in something that will continue it rather than take it off course. And that is down to, they've, they've built it up over time. You know, let's not kid ourselves. They've not gone from league, the National League to League One and back. They've had, a, in my opinion, a sustained attack on League Two for a period that has been focused and it's starting to it's starting to bear fruit for them. It's no surprise, really. Uh, I think there are a couple of clubs like ourselves in this division just now where you know, we, we set the, we've set the marker where we want to go. Port Vale are very similar in that regard. Probably Leighton Orient too. We've set ourselves where we want to go. There's a certain culture at the club that they believe in and we believe in ours. And we, it needs time to, to develop and progress. Um, and, and, and ultimately, it will, it will lead to success, be it this season or, or be in the future. Yeah. I'm just, I was just wondering, like, you know, obviously they've got a manager, young, uh, good philosophy, they're very Liverpool in the way that their full-backs create most of the goals in their team. You, know, you look at Liverpool, Robertson, Trent alexander John. you know, you look at Forrest Green and you basically got, you know, Cadden and then you got the boy on the right side. Uh, Wilson, is that his name? Uh, yeah, they've got Aitchison, they've got a few. I mean, you know, if you look at last year, they lost Jamil Matt with that really strange injury where he kind of burst his whole wrist open and their season just seemed to collapse from there, you know, and... and and that's another point. You know, they've had they've been fortunate with their injuries. They've kept the best players on the field all the time. And every time you look at the Forest Green eleven, they are naming Matt Stevens, Aitchison, Cadden. Hundred percent. And and that that makes a real difference. Now, you know, that can look like an excuse, but when you've got a set team, it is that's who you are. It's an identity, and they've got a way of playing. You know, when when they came here, we stopped them. We probably should have beaten that. That did feel like two points dropped to me, Phil. Yeah, and, and and they are beatable, but you know what they've got at the minute is huge momentum and confidence as well. And uh, but it, for me, it's you know Forest Green have had a sustained ta- a sustained attack, I would say, on this division, and and they've they've stuck to what they believe in. Yes, they've changed the manager, but generally speaking, they've stuck to what they believe in. I think we've got twenty five grand on Matt Stevens if they go up. So uh, I'll take the promotion bonus. <laughs> You know, it, it's an interesting kind of th- looking at, at some of the things that Forest Green are doing and what you were talking about, Ryan, there brings an interesting question for me, which is like how much about success, especially in League Two and perhaps in League One to some extent. So, Dara, I'd love your perspective as well on this. How much of is it is it truly down to how much budget you've got and how much is it around how you set up the club, the infrastructure, kind of momentum. And, you know, it's not necessarily the biggest, the biggest, um, the ones that spend the most money on the wages that has the biggest impact. Momentum's key. Like a lot of clubs, you know, if, if somebody dominates League Two and wins the title by 10 points, 15 points, a lot of the time the momentum will lift them on, you know, into a top eight, top six in, in, in League One. 
you know, we've seen it before. Uh, I think Scunthorpe ran away with the league a few years ago and then they, they pipped us. They were sixth in the league one the following year. And then they obviously collapsed down the leagues after that. But, you know, momentum plays a key part. Can you keep all the players? You know, and, and, and if you can keep the mass majority, we did it when we went back to back. We kept the nucleus. We didn't sell one asset. We got offered millions for some of our strikers, kept them, added to it and went again. But then again, you'll see other clubs that go up and struggle like fuck when they get up to League One. Swindon. I think Swindon won during COVID. They won the league and then they went up to League One and they were a bag of shit. Mm-hmm. So, you know, again, it all depends. But how many players did they still have from when they went up? Um, I think what Ryan's doing at Bradford is you've got players on longer contracts. You've got a good manager. You're building a nucleus. If you go up a club your size, the revenue you're going to get in League One, you, you sprinkle three or four additions and you should be a force to be reckoned with in the top 10 in League One. Yeah, and, and the reason kind of for some of the question is that oftentimes on the outside, you look and say, well, the, the reason why we're not doing what Forest Green is doing is because we, we need to invest more money. You know, it's always the fans, like the perspective is it's always more money that's needed. And that's kind of what I'm trying to, it's not necessarily that that doesn't equal success. No, but I mean, this is what I'm talking about. I would argue we've got a bigger budget than Forest Green. In fact, I guarantee it. That's not, not the point. Forest Green have had, a lot of, you know what I mean? You know, I talk about culture quite a bit. And I think people think it's a buzzword. It's really not. If you set off in a, a direction, then you just keep left, right, left, right, speed bump, speed bump. But you're going absolutely nowhere. You will end up on your Jack Jones pretty quick. You know, and, and it's if you stop believing in what you're trying to achieve, you never get there anywhere. You know, at this club here, you know, and I'm happy to say it, I thought lacked a bit of overall direction for a long time. Since the day I kind of walked in the place, I've never really got it or what it was trying to do. So obviously, I always believe that once I got an opportunity, if I ever got an opportunity to run it, then I'll, or, or run any club for that matter, you would set a course that your staff, your players, your manager, your recruitment staff, your backroom staff, the, the you know the, the guys that look after the pitch, look after the stadium, they all can kind of understand and relate to what we're trying to achieve here, um, and and that's massive, you know, and for a club like you know, when we talk about Forest Green, there's other clubs that are great examples where they've just got the shit together. And they know exactly what they're trying to achieve and they're cracking on with it. And it's not about money. I mean, look at Wickham or another example where Wickham have, yes, they come out of the championship, but they've not had, they were fan on for a while, you know, and they've grafted the way up, but they kept going. The gaffer, the stuff, you know, the stuff supported the manager through thick and thin. Uh, they made as much money available as possible. They give the best facilities and infrastructure you possibly can give. And we're constantly looking at that. Where have we where have we not gained that percent that we wanted to gain, and how are we going to do it next season or, or in the last four or five months of this one? You know what I mean? And that that really is for me how it how it plays out. There's no coincidence, and there are very few flukes in my opinion as to where people end up, and the table never lies. Um, you know, and that's the truth. No, absolutely. You're absolutely right. It's uh, you know, football is all about. Um, a good plan for a club and sometimes there's bumps in the road and, I, and I'm going through that at the moment and it's quite easily you know it's the ones who hold their cool or suddenly panic when they hit a bump in the road and that's when clubs can end up in a fucking disastrous precarious position yeah there's so many buttons you can press and of course pressing them is not always the right thing to do it's not it's, it's about you know I, I, I see the players every week and you know, one thing that gets tabled at playing groups at Bradford is, oh, they're not interested, they don't care, they're not running for us, they don't want to die for the club and they're not they're not really with us. Well, I really would dispute that. You know, I know this playing group quite well and they're actually a good set of boys who want to do well. 
Um, and they're aware that they're carrying a number of years of disappointment and that brings pressure and, and there are certain players that adapt to that better, you know, but they're learning that, you know, it, it's very simple. You know, I can, I can come out every summer and say, well, we're going to try and stay up and we're going to find mid-table. If you set them standards inside your football club and that's acceptable, you're done. You're absolutely done. If we, we, we chase for the, we will always strive for the best possible outcome every season. And that in itself drives up standards. It's only like any company, you know, if you're in a sales department and you put the target at 50K and you know deep in your heart you can do 75, well, don't set it at 40 then. You know, why would you do that? So it's, uh, but, you know, it's about balancing our ambition and the realistic expectations all at the same time. But, you know, there's no doubt we've got, we're, we're well set, in my opinion. And if we continue on our course and we stick together and we, and we as, a, as a whole club, the fans, everything, They'll have their day, you know. I'm determined, and 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 I must admit, the Rochdale game in particular um, on Saturday, I left there disappointed for the supporters because I wanted them to have a, you know, I wanted them to celebrate the Saturday. Yes, it's three points in the bag, but it would have been nice for them as well. They made the effort. So now, until uh, certainly over the summer last year, you were pretty visible on social media. Um, you know, I took a step back. I think in the autumn, I just wonder if you could talk a little bit about you know, kind of why you went in that direction and, um, you know, does it, does it impact in any way in which you communicate with the fans? Yeah, I mean, it, when, I, when I took over, you know, a lot of people sort of said to me, you really probably want to leave that alone. And, and I said, well, no, I think there's still conversation that needs to be had in that way and, and that we need to build some trust. And I just, I just felt after a while, you know, you're communicating with quite a small proportion of your supporter base there. And... I don't know, and, and and the more I tossed it around in my mind, I, what what is the supporter on social media that's shouting um, largely abuse? If we're honest, most of the time, what why is that person more important than the other person that would happily have a cup of, a cup of tea or a coffee with you through the week and just discuss their views as well? You know, and and, and as long as you know, from my point of view, I've never turned the fans forum down. I, we do two or three every year, some here, some away. Things like this, I'm always open, so I don't think I've ever said no to an interview on the radio or anything like that. As long as I am open and honest and communicating throughout, I don't think that that is benefiting uh, the football club, me being plonked on there every game. and uh, It's all the time. And, and, and it almost felt that sometimes that supporters would wait for almost my verdict on a match. And, and I, I, think that's, I think that's wrong of me, you know, to be to be discussing it in that way. And, and I'm not prepared to work match by match either. You know, I'm trying to take a more holistic view on the situate, the, the position of the football club um, and, and, and and whatnot. But, you know, in no way is that me hiding from anything or anything where like that. I mean, one thing I would say is, you know, it, it does affect your focus at times. You know what I mean? Like I've got a job to do here, but it's, it's a difficult job and I need to focus on what's important, not, you know, sit with my social media uh, page up on the right hand side every day waiting for the you know the next line of information and, and every supporter knows that they can contact me emails I've, I don't think I've ever not replied to someone's letter you know I'm always very reachable in that regard so I don't think it's affected much from my point of view um, but it's, it's it's probably better from a mental perspective it's, it provides a little bit more clarity it gives you a little bit more space uh, to make your own judgments because ultimately I'm the one who gets paid to make them yeah, we talk, uh, Dara talks a lot about, you know, especially when times are difficult, um, that it can be not a nice place. And we've talked about it on the show, I think, um, you know, over the last couple of weeks as well. 
Well, I actually think it's worse than that. I think it's turning into a place where it won't be many years down the line, I can assure you, where doctors and the NHS are putting adverts out about it as a new tobacco and an alcohol. I'm serious. You know, it's coming down the line where, you know, I don't really, you know, I don't suffer with mental health issues, but I know some people that do. And, and, I, and I think that that will would affect them massively um, if they if they sort of made themselves um, available in that way or, you know, they were able to almost give themselves that level of vulnerability. And, and, and I do think that it is an issue coming down the line because it, it can be quite, it can be wonderful, you know, and you, you hear about things where people have met family members that they didn't know and all that kind of stuff. That's wonderful. But the other side of it, can, can be quite bad, really. I think very toxic, very toxic. Yeah, I think so, and, and I, don't, I don't think it's a true representation of general opinion. You know, it, it is a bit of an echo chamber at times, and you know, when when you're winning, it's quiet, and when you're losing, it's not. And that so that in itself makes it not a reliable thing to have. You know, and and uh, you know, I, I think you know, on reflection, and I'm big enough to admit this. You know, it probably does affect you more than you actually think. You don't realize it, you know, but it clouds your mind, you know, when you're driving home from games and you're in the car and you're having to think about what you've seen, you know, that's a, that's the time that I need to be thinking about what I've seen, not what me and 50,000, you know, 500 people on Twitter are telling me I've seen, you know what I mean? You're not wrong, you know? You live and learn, you know, and I, and I just think, I think um, I'm happy to chat, but I'd, I'd like to chat in a more fair and controlled manner, you know? Um, there are any last last questions or comments for Ryan today? No, I, I, you know what, Ryan's doing an amazing job as usual, and uh, you know I hope you have a great second half of the season and and, and win that promotion your work deserves. And uh, you know we, we we speak to you again in the summer. Yes, hopefully, fingers crossed. Cheers, guys. No worries, Ryan. Ryan, thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Uh, no, as no, ever. Thanks for having me, boys. I'll go back to my striker finding job. <laughs> well, just log on to Football Manager and there'll be just for transfers. You're going to find a nice list that you can go to and you know, we'll be announcing it tomorrow, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Appreciate your time. And uh, for everybody um, listening, if you've got questions, uh, please feel free to send them in. Contact at hardtruthfootball.com. That's contact at hardtruthfootball.com. Until next time. We'll see you again soon. Take care, everyone.